We are now going to continue our study in Philippians, and as we're turning there, if you have the Pew Bible, want to use that, it's on page 981. Had a little change. I announced last week that this would be a two-part series on Philippians 3, and that we would do a mini-series in January on the Word, but as it's turned out, I want us to focus on this passage in Philippians uh, throughout January. I'm using it as a, a fundamental look at the Christian life. So in some ways it will be similar to what we're going to do, but we're going to use Philippians 3 uh, throughout as a, uh, as a way to look afresh at what the Christian life is and what it isn't. Uh, so this morning, actually, we're going to, instead of, as it's listed in the bulletin, read verses 8 through 14, I want to read again verses 1 through 7 and uh, look at some things that we were not able to look at last week. And this will prepare us uh, even further for uh, looking at the remaining portion. <clears throat> so on page 981 in your Pew Bibles or Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had... I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, bless us that we may believe your truth, that we may see more of the glory of Jesus and give ourselves up to him. O Lord, indeed, circumcise us. Make us the true circumcision of your spirit who truly glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We pray this for your glory and honor. Amen. In my last year of uh, Little League, our team was uh, really a fantastic team, I have to say. We have eight teams in your league, and we play each of the other seven teams three times each year. That year, we played each team three times. We beat each team three times, okay? We were 21-0 at the end of the year, and we put four guys on the all-star team, which was unheard of. So we thought we were pretty hot stuff. Um, As a little 12-year-old, we were practicing one day toward the end of the season, us hot stuffs, and I saw... These farm team boys, they were the guys that were nine years old and younger. 
They were sitting in the back of my father's. I have shared this some years ago. Some of you may remember it. They were, I was, they were sitting in the back of my father's Austin Healy. It was a convertible. Three of them were back in the what was really two little seats, and they were going from practice to the farm team game. Now, obviously, this was back before seatbelts. Imagine three little kids ready to launch in a... <laughs> uh, convertible uh, Austin Healy. But don't think about that. That's not the point. <clears throat> Though you kind of shudder to think what we did back then. So I'm looking at these three little farm team kids sitting in the back of that Austin Healy, and I think they think they're really something sitting in the back of that car. Well, I, big, tough, 12-year-old uh, t- a member of this great team, I know how to start that car. I'll show them. So I go over to the, uh, my dad's Austin Healy. I sit in the seat, and they're kind of like, ooh, wow. He's sitting in the front seat, in the driver's seat. And I'm feeling my oats, and I'm feeling how they think I'm really something. And I'm sitting there thinking, one of those pedals you're supposed to push in, I guessed wrong. Instead of pushing in the clutch... I put my foot on the gas. There was a boy on a bike in front of the car. The car leaped forward, knocked him off the bike, and the car ended up sitting on the bike. Needless to say, what was going to be a major triumph of accomplishment that I could turn over and start that car and everyone would be amazed was... The greatest humiliation and shame and most horrible thing I ever did and could have been absolutely disastrous. Now, what's amazing is how I looked at what I did before and after, right? How I looked back and thought, what was I thinking? And I didn't just think I was so stupid uh, for doing that and how dangerous it was and how foolish it was and how disobedient it was to my dad and everything else, I was thinking, how foolish for me to be so prideful at that moment. I really was. I was just thinking, I did all of that because I was wanting to impress these boys and I thought I was impressive as I was doing it. But look at what it really was. I saw it. I saw it in a whole different light. Now, this is very different, of course, for Paul. But everything that he had put confidence in, everything that he had counted as gain, counted as what he boasted in, what he lived for, what he trusted in, what he thought was his major accomplishment... All of that, he said, changed, in verse 7, and the better translation, some translations have this, was because of Christ Jesus. It was what I saw him to be, who I saw him to be, and what I saw he had done. That transformed my view of everything that I had done up to that point. And those very things that for him were gain, now were loss. Just as for me, all of this gain, you know, of sitting in the Austin Healy 
became a suddenly the most terrible loss in a second. Now, Paul is fighting what we call Judaizers, people who most likely professed to be Christians, but they thought that Gentiles couldn't be complete Christians and really couldn't have a complete right standing with God ultimately unless they began to submit to the Jewish markers. That's what you deal with in Galatians. And you, you see him mention circumcision. And he mentions days. And he mentions food, uh, the, the food laws. These are the things that rise up again and again in the, in the letters. These things that you have to do in order truly to be accepted by God, truly to be a part of the people of God, truly to be righteous before God. And he calls them, as we dealt with last week, these dogs. The dogs were what they call the Gentiles, and he's turning the tables He's saying, these people that claim that if you do these things, you'll be in the inner circle are putting themselves in the outer circle by saying that. They're no better than the Gentiles. They think they're working good. They think they're drawing you to God. They're evil workers. They're drawing you away from God. They are uh, functions of the evil one himself who would draw you away from the centrality of Christ. He says that they have mutilated their flesh, taking that central thing of circumcision, that central uh, ritual of circumcision that was the apex of the marker that you belong to God and that you were righteous before God. And he says now if they reject Christ and they reject the centrality of Christ, that's nothing but a mutilation. Very harsh words from Paul. And in amazing words saying, we, not they, we who may not be circumcised are really the circumcised. Because we've been circumcised of heart by the Spirit of God. Because we glory in Christ Jesus. Because we entrust ourselves to the true Messiah. We are the circumcision. And those who have rejected Messiah or rejected the centrality of Messiah. So that they say, you Gentiles can't really be a part of the people of God unless you have these things. They are now the mutilation, and we are the true circumcision. Christ, belonging to Christ by faith, is the only way that we can be righteous before God and belong to the people of God. So, in light of all that the Judaizers are doing to attempt to get the Gentiles uh, to be included with the people of God and to have a right standing before God, through circumcision and the food laws and observing the days, including the Sabbath. He then argues here in verses 4 and following from the greater to the lesser. He is basically saying, if anyone wants to talk about confidence in the flesh, here they are trying to draw you into these fleshly things, ultimately drawing you away from Christ. And that is going to paint the picture. If anybody has anything to trust in, in terms of 
this world, I do. And yet I've gone from this world to this world and count all of those things that they're trying to call you to as refuse. So Paul is arguing that if anyone wants to call you to or point to or point to their own accomplishments in this area as a way to be close to God, I had all of this and more than anyone and I've thrown it all away in order to be close to God through Jesus Christ alone. And so he's setting before them, this is a personal testimony but it's a way for them to view all of life. It, all that matters is that you belong to Jesus Christ. All that matters is that you have Christ. That is his point here. So first we want to go through his little list here to understand how he's making this case for himself. And then we'll make a couple of applications. So first of all, he says... Uh, I have more than anyone. He says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. He's an eighth dayer, okay? He's a first, he has first class circumcision. He's the Mercedes of circumcision. The Neiman Marcus of circumcision. The Gentiles, if you do this, you're only even then going to be participating in a second class circumcision as adults. Mitsubishi or Dillard's at best, Okay. So he says, I'm an eighth dayer. He says, I'm of the people of Israel. If you adopt circumcision and keep the Sabbath and other days and keep the food laws, you still aren't going to be a true Israelite. You still don't have Israelite blood. One lady at a church I served in regard to the newer people that were assuming responsibilities at her church, which she didn't like. They're the newer people that came after the building was built. And she didn't like the fact that they were assuming responsibility and taking on leadership in her church, her church. And she put it this way, our blood is in the bricks. We see your blood couldn't be in the bricks because you weren't even here when the building was built. Obviously, my blood is not in these rocks, if you want to call them or whatever. That's the point Paul says, hey, my blood is in the bricks. Yours won't ever be, but mine is. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. It's an extension of that idea of Israelite. Benjamin, along with Judah, only two tribes that stuck to Jerusalem, that stuck to the Davidic kings, right? He along, uh, Benjamin along with Judah were the two that came and rebuilt the temple after the exile. The other ten tribes, no. I'm of Benjamin, okay? I'm as thoroughly centrally Jewish as they come. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. This summarizes the term. This was a term they used among the Gentiles to say, we're not Gentiles, we're Hebrews, so he says, I'm a Hebrew, born of pure Hebrew stock. So that, that set forth his status, right? This is my status. Then he starts to list his achievements, okay? The others I just had by birth. But then my achievements, I was a Pharisee. The special law-formulating, law-multiplying, law-keeping branch of the church. 
We were the law keepers of the law keepers. And probably most of his opponents that were trying to persuade were part of pharisaical background. At least they uh, fell in line with that thinking. He said, and so, so much so as I Pharisee, I was a zealot for the law of God. I persecuted the church. I opposed anything that I saw was an attack against the law. And of course, this sets up this amazing contrast that I was a Christ opposer, a Christ persecutor, a hater of Christ and his people, a hater of all things Christ. What a contrast to then set up and say, but now I count everything as loss for that Christ. <laughs> you see, he's making this, this kind of serves as two, func- uh, serves two functions. Both that shows how zealous I was in terms of Jewish religion and what I was and what I've become. And then in regard to this pharisaical understanding of law keeping, the kind Jesus, Jesus criticized in Matthew 23, that you keep tithe of every, you give tithes of everything uh, that you, you make. You, you have all these meticulous laws that you keep. But you've lost the whole heart of what it was about. That is love and mercy and humility. This was, this was the whole point of a relationship to God. But as to these outward things, as to these things that Jesus said, of which Jesus said later, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees because they think if they just keep it outwardly, they're fine. He says, but of all those things... I was blameless. You might think of the rich young ruler who, after Jesus listed the Ten Commandments, he says, yeah, I've kept all of those from my youth. Right? Shallow understanding of the meaning of God's word, the meaning of obedience and heart religion. So Paul would say, let's just put it bluntly, I was far more than you could ever hope to be by submitting to these Judaizers and getting a recent inferior circumcision and still never being a blood Jew, not to mention a Pharisee or a zealot. I was more than any of those who would draw you after those themselves. All of that and more. But listen, all of those things I counted as gain, I now count as loss because of Christ, because of who he is and what he has done. And you think of what happened to Paul then on the road to Damascus. Uh, some of you may not know, but Paris Paul, persecutor of the church, headed to Damascus to throw more people into prison right after he had held the cloaks to observe with, uh, uh, with um, a sh- um, favor and agreement the stoning of Stephen. And now with that kind of spirit, he goes on to Damascus to imprison more believers. And on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ actually appeared to him as light. And he fell to the ground and he was blinded. Three days later, Ananias was visited, uh, a believer, to say, you need to go and visit Paul. And pray for him that the Spirit would come upon him and baptize him, which he did. And in just days, Paul 
was proclaiming Christ as Lord. In just days, Paul, who was persecuting and wanted to stamp out the name of Christ, was now proclaiming the name of Christ and risking his life to proclaim Christ. We see, as a zealot, Paul thought that his righteousness as a lawkeeper would help bring in the kingdom of God. And he thought if he could snuff out everything in Israel that opposed the law, if he could spread this law-keeping to more and more people, if he and the other Pharisees could be this glorious core of light, law-keeping, God would send Messiah and deliver Israel from its oppressors. And when Christ revealed himself as true Lord, you have to realize what all happened in Paul's mind. He realized, wait, this one who died on that cross has been vindicated by God? The the one who died is now the Lord who spoke to me, the Lord exalted at the right hand of God? He is the one who was raised, he he was raised from the dead and now he rules all things. I thought he was cursed from God. And as he later wrote in, in Galatians, he came to realize, apparently even right now, he was cursed for me. He was cursed for others, not for himself. And that's why he was vindicated. That's why he was exalted. That's why he was made Lord. Because he wasn't truly the guilty one. He was bearing the guilt of others. Wait a minute. My righteousness that I pursued so diligently was not only not going to bring in the kingdom. It was not going to earn the response of God to bring Messiah Messiah had to come and bear the sin and the curse for me. See how that was a turnaround? My righteousness would bring Messiah. No, my righteousness had to be judged. My righteousness ended up being a sin and a curse before God. Messiah had to come and bear my sin. My righteousness didn't bring God's salvation. I needed salvation. Nothing less than the terrible death of Messiah on my behalf. He didn't come to deliver us righteous Pharisees from Roman oppression. He came to deliver me from my oppressive sin itself. My righteousness didn't bring in the kingdom. My righteousness had to be atoned for by the king. My righteousness that was gain is loss. It's loss. This is what Paul had happened to Paul because of Christ. Everything changed for Paul because of Christ. So two things as we close. Are you trying to get to God by your religious observance? Are you trying to get to God by your performance? Think of how the Pharisees... 
had turned around the Sabbath. The Sabbath from Deuteronomy 5, it was a memorial of creation, but it was also a memorial of their deliverance from Egypt. From Deuteronomy 5, we learn. And so the Sabbath should be a reminder we were helpless slaves. And it took the sovereign salvation of God to deliver us strangers, as God called them in Egypt, to deliver us in his mercy and grace. It is a sign that should mark our humility and brokenness and us proclaiming then this merciful God who has had mercy on us and now would have mercy on you. But no, the Sabbath had become this badge of pride. Badge of deserving, a badge that they had earned. And by keeping it, it showed how different they were than anyone else. They didn't need God's mercy. They had God's approval because of how faithfully they kept the law. And then it enabled them to look down their nose at everyone who didn't keep it. So it became a badge of their superiority. Not brokenness and humility. Imagine the difference in approaching a Gentile from humility or superiority. You see, the cross trumps all of this. Of what it means to belong to God and to serve God. It demolishes any righteousness that exalts yourself before God. Creating this self-satisfied, pompous, look-down-your-nose religiosity that prides itself in the rules you keep. What you avoid, what you do, who you are, who you are not. Religion is not your keeping God's rules. Religion is God's bloody sacrifice to save us. That's true religion. To rescue us and call us to walk in His humility as it's expressed in Philippians 2 that we read earlier. So that we, like Christ, give ourselves humbly to others as their servant. Manifesting the character of God in our lives as Christ manifested the character of God in his humility and love. And so we become a new people who are patient and kind and merciful and humble and sacrificial. And so I ask you, are you rejoicing In Christ, as Paul urges from the beginning here, rejoice in the Lord. Or are you rejoicing in your religious observance or your performance before God? And this can be subtle as you begin to control your circumstances or try to control other people or you have harsh judgment and criticism toward people. You easily find fault with people. You're easily offended by people. You're rarely pleased by people. And you're looking for what is wrong around you in people and circumstances. You're kind of on a moral and relational edge Why? Because you're performing on the assumption that you must win God's favor. And so you treat others with the same assumption that they must win your favor. And as you feel like you're failing before God, other people will always fail before your righteous gaze. It's a whole different approach to life. And I can assure you, if you're on a performance basis with God for your acceptance, 
I assure you, yeah, you're not doing well at all. (laughs) You're correct in that. You're doomed to fail, and it will doom you. Because you can never win God's favor. Christ Jesus has won his favor. And in Christ Jesus alone, you can have the favor of God. Well, I think I'll just close with this note. As he says, and we talked about this last week. This will bring about in your life the glorying in Christ Jesus. Christ, if the Spirit of God is working in you, Christ becomes the absolute consuming desire. Not all consuming or you'd be perfect, but more and more the consuming desire of your heart. It is not anything else but Jesus. To know Jesus, to imitate Jesus, to trust Jesus, to admire Jesus, to praise Jesus, to explore Jesus. And the Spirit of God works in no other way but to point you more and more to Jesus Christ himself. Is that your religion? Is that your religion? The true Spirit of God works in us to draw us to Christ in a way from trusting in our flesh. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we pray that Christ will be everything to us. He will be in our inheritance as we sang. He would be our desire. He would be our joy. He would be the whole reason we live day after day, Lord. The reason we give ourselves away to others the reason we reach out to brothers and sisters within the church, the reason we call, the reason we visit, the reason we serve, the reason we worship, the reason we lay down our lives. Oh, Lord, we pray that Christ will fill our lives and fill our hearts. We pray that His love for us, His accomplishment for us, His sacrifice for us will hold our hearts in ever-deepening ways so that, Lord, we will find ourselves living out that same humble love and sacrifice and so manifesting the very character of God who is so beautifully revealed in the person of Christ. Oh, Lord, bring about this circumcision of our hearts Bring about this worship which can only be by the Spirit. A worship in which we give the whole of our lives up to God. Because of what he has done for us in Christ. Oh bless us Lord. For we are helpless apart from you. Amen.